All right, I'm going to be reading the scripture today from uh, John chapter 6. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on the hillside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for all these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered, Eight months' wages would not buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in the place, and the men sat down, about 5,000 of them. Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed, sorry, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Nothing is to be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. We begin a new series of messages uh, uh, intended for the summer months. Summer is upon us. Last Sunday here of, uh, of June. And uh, as, as Mel prayed, we know that people are traveling about in the summertime. So each of these messages over the next nine weeks uh, kind of stand alone. But they're tied together under the umbrella of the theme, going all out. Going all out. And that's exactly uh, what will happen this summer. On a number of fronts, uh, in, a, in a few short weeks, uh, we're going to have the exciting coverage from London, England with the Summer Olympic Games. And uh, uh, I just love to watch the, the Olympics. Uh, I get captivated by it. And, and uh, those athletes will be going all out. You can count on it uh, in order to win a medal for their country. We've just witnessed an amazing feat over the Niagara Falls uh, uh, with uh, Nick Walenda. Here was an example uh, back in 1860 of uh, Charles Blondin, uh, who walked over the uh, Niagara Falls as well. I think he walked below the falls, but, <laughs> but uh, nevertheless, he got across. But what an amazing feat uh, to watch Nick Walenda for those 25 intense minutes as he crossed from the U.S. side and walked on a three-inch cable uh, into the gusting wind and the mist and even at night. And uh, I thought, man, you are crazy for doing this. And it was such a huge sigh of relief when he got to the other side and a tremendous accomplishment indeed. It was, it was going all out. And I wonder what's next for Nick Walenda. There was a documentary, I don't know if you caught it, uh, done in the last couple of weeks, uh, perhaps by Adrian Arsenault, from uh, uh, the CBC, and how certain people are inclined toward adventure. Uh, adventure which can be very dangerous. Uh, they take their lives in their hands. And so they brought on a psychologist, and he was explaining why certain people do this, and others will tend to play it very safe. 
Uh, there is a small percentage of people, some among us this morning, I'm sure, that are simply captivated by an adrenaline rush. Very interesting. You have the Nick Walendas of life, and there are many people uh, in our population that just love the thrill of adventure. They, they, they love that adrenaline rush. They love to jump out of an airplane. They love to race a car around a track as fast as it can go. They love to go to the moon. Imagine the year 1969 and the first astronauts reached the moon. One small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Famous words by Neil Armstrong. <clears throat> and it was true. Can you imagine getting in that spaceship and wondering, once you got off and stepped onto the surface of the moon, if you would ever be able to get back home again? Imagine the risk of people like Columbus in the 1400s setting sail across a huge unknown ocean. Amazing. Courageous. In those days, they wondered if maybe the earth just kind of, you just dropped off the earth. And here they were sailing out to find a new land. And we are thankful for those people through the centuries who find themselves on the risk end of life. Going all out. Going all out. I've never been to Belize in the Caribbean. Maybe someday. Who knows? But I hear there's some amazing scuba diving in Belize and that there is a famous spot called the Blue Hole. Anybody ever been there? Oh, I can say what I want about it then. and uh, <laughs> No one's going to say, no, that's not right. It seems like uh, divers can go down 30 to, feet, uh, 30 to 50 feet and see incredible fish and coral that the snorkelers, of course, would never see. The more experienced can go down further to where there are schools of rays and other wonders to be seen. And finally, the most experienced divers can use the oxygen-nitrogen mixture to dive down past a hundred feet into the blue hole and see wonders that few on this planet could ever witness. And there's a truth here about going all out in reaching greater depths in our relationship with God. And one of the things that becomes so clear as we get to know the heart of God is that there's more. There's more. I just see such a small glimpse of the heart of God. But as I go deeper and deeper, I see there's more and there's more and there's more. There's more to learn. There are more ways to grow. And God wants to take us deeper and deeper to experience areas that we haven't seen yet. And that we haven't experienced. And God is just waiting for us to come deeper. So regardless if you're a scuba diver that can go down 30 feet, you'll still want to go down further. And if you can go down 60 feet, you'll still want to go down further because you are awestruck with what you have seen and experienced. God wants to take us all on a journey. I get real nervous out in the water. Honestly, I do. Uh, because I grew up on the farm. And we didn't have much water. And we didn't learn to swim as kids. And now I see our grandchildren so free 
having so much fun in the water. And I was like, be careful. And they just go for it. They're not afraid of the water. They have confidence. I say, stay back. And they just come right out into the, the deep. They respect the water, but they have made friends with the water. And it seems so easy for them. They're not afraid to go deeper because they are secure in the deeper areas. Deeper water is almost always a scary place to journey if you're not comfortable there. Deep water means less control. And yet the Spirit calls us and gently leads us into deeper water that we've never experienced. He calls us to trust. He calls us to cling even more tightly to Him. Anyone need that word this morning? He, need, he calls us to cling ever so tightly to Him. How about a deeper step this summer? How about going a little further? Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could all go a little deeper, just a little deeper this summer? And it probably would look quite different for all of us, but it would be deeper. Regardless of where you're at in your journey, if you're down 30 feet or down 60 feet or you're down 100 feet, how about going a little deeper? How about growing a little bit more? How about going in a little deeper, giving up a little more control? And isn't that hard? Giving up a little more control? How about going all out in trusting God? Oh, what would that mean? I want to, so I want to take you to the passage that Neil read this morning. And uh, actually, we looked at this a couple of years ago, but I want to kind of double back in on this passage again. This miracle is so important, the feeding of the 5,000, that it found its way not just into one place in the Bible, but in four places. So that's got to be significant. Uh, it's found in the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And all four of these men were so impressed by it that they included it in their, in their Gospel. And the miracle is in the, in the Bible for one reason, to teach us, to tell us how Jesus Christ can do a miracle in our lives and teach us to go out a little further out of our comfort zone and help us to trust him where we're not comfortable. And he wants to stretch us and he wants us to get used to some deeper water. Someday you're going to need a miracle. Well, you might need one right now. I don't know. Maybe a miracle in your marriage. Maybe a miracle in your finances. Maybe a miracle in your health. I have no idea what you might be struggling with in your health as you sit out there. And I have no idea. But you might need a miracle. And you're going to say, God, how do I get you to help me? There are four principles that are out just a little deeper. You've got to swim out a little further to get them. You have to move out of the shallow end to find these principles. And when you do... You'll have a smile in your heart because it's so very encouraging. Four truths that teach us. One, admit I have a need. Admit I have a need. I love John's account of the story. He says that Jesus asked the disciples, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip's response was one of shock. 
Even if we worked for eight months, even if we worked for months, we couldn't accumulate enough money to feed a crowd like this. We just don't have the financial means to do it. Obviously, now this is a remote place. They've been gone all day without food. And now it's the end of the day and people are still there. And they need something to eat. And Jesus has the same thinking as the people in our kitchen. We've got to feed them. We've got to take care of them. You can't let them go home without some food. And the first thing that Jesus implies is you have to admit you have a need. Wow, this is bigger than we can handle. We can't feed these people. It's hard to admit that we have a need. I find that hard sometimes. That's my pride. I would sooner be able to bluff my way through it, forge my way through it. And that's pride. I would sooner drive for an extra half hour and not ask for directions than simply stop and say, Sir, I'm lost. Can you help me find my way? What is it in your life, in your marriage, your work, that's a real problem? But you have difficulty owning that. Instead of admitting that we have a need, we often procrastinate. Maybe we think it'll go away. Matthew says it was the end of the day. Did you notice that? It was getting late. That's the phrase. It was getting late. There are things that stack up in our lives, on our desks, in our homes that need attention. And it's getting late. But we somehow put them off. To put things off usually makes things worse. Or we pass the buck. We say it's not our problem. The disciples were saying that. Send these people home. We can't feed them. They're going to have to fend for themselves. After all, they're grown-ups. Sometimes instead of admitting we have a need, we simply start to worry. That's natural and normal. Oh, man, I don't know what we're going to do. Oh, we are stuck. It would take months and months of working and collecting all our salaries to feed a group like this. We get a little anxious. How are we going to solve this problem? Well, the first step is to admit we've got a need and a big need and we don't have the resources to solve it. In leadership these days, it's, it's, it's said somewhat differently, but it means the same. Identify the problem. Identify the problem. Don't move past it. Don't dilute it. Be honest about it. Identify the problem. And then you know what you're working with. That's the first step. You know what you're working with. Really, that's coming to the point where you admit your need. You see the problem and you admit your need. And once that is really, really clear in your mind, in your heart, you can start to get some traction. You know you can't do it yourself. You really do have a need. The second thing is assess what I have to work with. What do I have? How am I using it? Jesus said to his disciples, What have we got to solve this problem? Go check it out. And they came back and they said, Here's what we have. Five small loaves of bread, two fish. That's what we've got. That's all we got. Now, why did Jesus do that? He knew that already. He knew the answer. But why this process of discovery? Here's the principle. God always starts with what I have when he wants to work a miracle. God always starts with what I have when he wants to work a miracle. It may be little. It may be not much time, not much energy. 
Not much money, not many resources, not much talent. But he always starts with what I have. And you know the story. When the, the disciples came to Jesus with the problem, he said, you feed them. Well, it's impossible. We don't have the means to feed them. It can't happen. Have you ever felt that God has uh, asked you to do something impossible with whatever you've got? Lord, really, I, I don't have the time to do that. Lord, uh, I, I don't know how we could come up with the money to do that. Lord, I question I have the ability to do that. And you know, he starts with what we've got. And I love this. While we're sweating it out, trying to figure out how all this works, Jesus already knows. <laughs> Isn't that neat? While we're stewing in ourselves, he already knows where the resources are. John 6, 6, Jesus asked this only to test them, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. This was a chance to grow and stretch and see how great God is. Jesus saw the need in our lives long before we did, but he waits for us to do the analysis. I guess we have to go through the process. I guess we have to sort it through. He's already got it figured out, but he waits for us to get concerned about this. We have to come to the point where we wonder, how is this ever going to work? I can do the math, and the math doesn't total up to the right numbers. You must admit you have a need, and then you must assess what you already have to work with. And then number three, I give God what little I have. What have I got? When you read the account from John's Gospel, you have a little extra detail. It's actually Andrew who goes out and he finds a little boy in the crowd. And this little boy, maybe the only one in the big crowd, has a bag lunch. And uh, he brought along five little loaves and maybe a couple of sardines. They're probably little fish. And this little guy has been the hero since this was written. And the reason he's the hero is the fact that he offered it to Andrew to take to Jesus. If that would be helpful. Uh, one might have thought that this little boy would have protected his lunch. You know, like a wide receiver running down the field. No one's going to get this from me. I'm holding on tight. It was amazing that this little boy gave up his lunch. I mean, he could have said, I can't do anything to help this big crowd. I have no resources to help the crowd. He just said, I'll give what I got. He gives God what little he had. And Jesus said, now everybody sit down. And then Jesus took those five loaves and he gave thanks to God. And he thanked God for that bread and he distributed the bread. And he did the same with the fish. And he thanked God for the fish that he had and he handed it out to everyone. And Jesus just kept breaking the bread, breaking the bread, and the, and the fish. He just kept breaking it. And this process is going on, and he just doesn't stop. It's just so amazing. And, and there was enough. And it's a miracle. But it's, it's a miracle in the Bible for a reason. To teach us 2,000 years later. And we learn this principle that God will use whatever I give him. You give it with the right heart. God will use whatever I give him. He's not looking for the amount. Oh, look at that amount. No, it's, that's not the point. He's looking for your heart. 
And when you give with your heart, he shows you what that amount is in, in all of life, in your time, in your resources, your energy. But he takes what you give him and he blesses it and he uses it. And if I give him my time, God will use that. And if I give him my money, God will use that. And if I give him my spiritual gifts and my talents, God will use that. If I give him my dreams, I believe God will use that. If I give him my relationships, God will take them and use them. And, and if I give him my family, God will take my family and bless my family and use my family. It's important to notice this kind of giving that sparks a miracle. The little boy gave what he had willingly, cheerfully, and could I add, immediately. Immediately. I don't know if, if I'd have given up my lunch. I might have been thinking, I need it. <laughs> I'm not going to give that away. I think I'll protect what I've got. But he gave up his lunch. He gave it immediately, and if he gave it right away, I expect he did with a cheerful heart. He gave what little he had. You know, uh, friends, it's been just so amazing to watch God at work in our midst over these last nine years. And what I've observed is that he keeps taking what we have, what we give to him, and he keeps breaking it and breaking it and using it and using it. I've never been on such a fun journey in my life to watch God do this. And it builds faith in my heart when I see him doing that. We bring what we have to the Lord and he blesses us. We run up against all kinds of roadblocks all along the way. And the, the story of TCC is hitting a roadblock, backing off, seeing the door open, going through, hitting a roadblock, backing up, door opens, and you go through. What can he do with the little I bring to the table? Here's the principle. Bring what you can bring. That's it. I'm not asked to bring something what somebody else is asked to bring. Just bring what you can bring your resources. I just want you to apply that to a broad spectrum in life. I'm just asked to bring what I can bring. The miracle that God is going to do is the miracle of blessing and breaking what each one of us brings. For the last uh, number of years, uh, like many of you, and like Janelle quoted this morning, I have been reading systematically through the Bible with what's called the Life Journal. We've got them back on the table back there. And this week, uh, we were in Second Kings. You were quoting from Chronicles this morning. But in Second Kings chapter 3, what an amazing story of the king of Israel and the king of Judah joining together to defeat the king of Moab who was rebelling against Israel. So they went to war and they decided to attack from the wilderness side or the desert side of Moab. What they didn't calculate, and I don't know why they didn't or if they didn't understand the climate at the time, what they didn't calculate was that the ground had dried up in the, on the desert side and there was no water. So this army is marching and marching and marching. They get to, to the valley that they think they will have water and resources, but there are none. They are tired. They are exhausted. They are ready to go to war and they are thirsty and they are hungry. 
and the troops were about to perish, and they asked the Lord through Elisha what to do. And Elisha said, this is what the Lord says, the dry valley will be filled with pools of water. But listen, you will see neither wind nor rain, says the Lord, but this valley will be filled with water. You will see neither wind nor rain, but the valley will be filled with water. You will have plenty for yourselves and your cattle and other animals. But this is only a simple thing for the Lord. For he will make you victorious over the army of Moab. What a verse. This is only a simple thing for the Lord. doesn't look simple. No wind, no rain. And yet the valley fills with water. Isn't that God? Isn't that God? Armies are taken care of. The livestock are taken care of. I guess the point is this. We don't know how God is going to provide in our lives. But he does. And sometimes it comes in the least unexpected way. You say, where did that come? I thought it might come from here. It comes in the least unexpected way because that's God. So God gets all the glory. So God gets all the glory. And it's exciting to simply do what we can do. It is exciting. Uh, we will do what we can do joyfully because we believe in what we're doing as a body. It's been my prayer that this journey of building into building in our community will be a joy. And it has been. It will be a time of trusting God and watching Him work in miraculous ways. So that he develops a people of God in the process. Not that we just accomplish something, <clears throat> but that he develops a people of God. And that he does something in our families. That our children and grandchildren will look back and recount God at work among us. And it will bless them and thrill them and they'll say, remember, remember. We don't want this to be a pressure tactic, because uh, that's not what God wants. God doesn't want families to suffer and tensions arise because we're trying to build a church building. And yet, it's a joy to bring what we can, to participate, to be involved, and to say, Lord, this is my gift. Bring your best and give it cheerfully. Give it willingly. And you have. And watch what God does. Fourthly, expect God to multiply it. Uh, we just have to read John chapter uh, 6, verse 11, following. And they all ate as much as they wanted. Now everyone was full. Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled 12 baskets with scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Can you just look into that little boy's eyes? Can you just see him? He's watching this. This is what he brought. This is what happened with the resources that he brought. And I'll bet he took one of those basketfuls home. I'll just bet he did. Gave it to his mom and said, these are planned overs for the coming week. We can use these, mom. Look, there's extra. Here's the fourth principle. Whenever I give... I always end up getting more back. Isn't that true? Whenever I give, I always end up getting more back. Somehow when I give my time, and it just doesn't feel like there's any more time to give, God multiplies my time. 
And when I give my money, God multiplies my money. And when I give my energy, God renews my energy, multiplies my energy. You can never outgive God. Uh, now, we don't give to God with a little conniving in here. Oh, I know the principle, Will, so we'll get something back. Don't give that way. Just give with your heart. Let God do it. Because it comes back in such diverse ways. But if you keep your eyes open, you see how God is blessing your faithfulness. God loves to work through us. He loves to bless us and stretch us and use us. And he loves to do miracles through us. We are God's people. He's called this church into being. So we have someone who's leading us. Jesus Christ who goes before us. The Holy Spirit has been putting the pieces together uh, one piece at a time. And that's what gives us confidence. That miracle keeps happening to the glory of God. This is a God thing that's happening. And you and I are privileged to be part of what he is doing. It's thrilling to see what God is doing and to just try to keep in stride with him. Uh, bottom line, we have a community that needs Christ. And they're looking for purpose. And they're looking for resources in life. They're trying so many different things to find their way. They're looking for anything to fill that emptiness. They are spiritually hungry. And God has wonderfully said, TCC, you go stand there. You go stand in the midst of that community. And you be my people. You feed them because they're hungry. You feed them. You tend them because they're my sheep. And it's like, Lord, oh, it's impossible. There's too many people. And we don't have the space. We don't have the resources. We don't have the money. We don't have the staff. We don't have everything that it's going to take. It would take a miracle. <laughs> and that's what God's going to do. And that's what he's doing. Amen. In life, one of the secrets to success is timing. You've heard the expression, timing is everything. When you tell a joke, timing is everything. It goes kind of, it didn't go over. If you're a trapeze artist, timing is very important. There's a time for everything, the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes says. There are certain things that we can do and certain things that God will do. And if we're faithful, we just trust God that he's going to show up in powerful ways. Expect. God to multiply whatever you give. Just have that faith in your heart. Have that faith in your heart. Not your own confidence, but the faith that God brings to your heart that he's just going to take this and multiply it. I want to just conclude uh, by giving you a few things that I believe God's continuing to do, and I'll be very fast. Number one, he's going to continue to help us become more like Jesus Christ. It's really not about a building. This is about building disciples. And I believe God is making us stronger and he's building a people of faith. Secondly, he is going to help us conclude a building for his glory and to establish some new ministries in our community. We will have some very unique opportunities in the days ahead. One of the construction workers came to me last week and said, we only live a few blocks from here. And can you tell me how to enroll my three-year-old in preschool? His daughter will be in preschool this fall. And we've, we're developing a little relationship. 
and and uh, we have some people in common that we discovered that we know <clears throat> and we're just trusting God that well the Lord laid a plank for us to walk to him and him to us and ultimately to God it's needed in our community and it will be a wonderful resource I can't imagine all the ways that will be used for his glory but our families and our kids will grow and develop and mature in this environment I love that we're even giving pennies that are going out of circulation so might as well bring them in and let those pennies work uh, for, the, for the glory of God and grandma and grandpa if you're out there or mom and dad don't bring the pennies yourself if your little one can carry them give them to your kids let them put, put it in the bank out there because they'll never forget that this is what they have done they've been a part of this let them have that ownership in this building thirdly we can expect to continue to see some miracles there are going to continue to be some flat out no explanation miracles that take place as we take our responsibility ensuring that we pay off this building in the years to come so it doesn't drag on us some of you will get promotions some of you will have unexpected windfalls some of you are going to have unknown income just come in just keep your eyes open and just say, oh God, that's amazing. That's amazing. That came out of nowhere. Mark and I had that the other day. That came out of nowhere. And we just said, Lord, thank you. God does miracles when people follow his direction. Number four, expect joy in your life. Much joy and a blanket of joy for this congregation. Oh, that's, that's our, our joy and our prayer. Uh, it always happens when we give of ourselves. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And then five, take up the challenge of praying every day for TCC and the great journey that we're on. Every day, pray for God to have his way in our lives. Tomorrow is a day of prayer and fasting. I know that many of you have got to go to work tomorrow. I understand that. And a whole day of prayer and fasting, well, it just can't happen for you. For some, it, it could. But it may not be easy because of your schedules. Here's my encouragement to you. Tailor make the day for your schedule. Just simply ask, well, how might it work? How might you add some extra time in prayer to praying to God to help us conclude well and transition to our next place? Could you miss one meal? Could you miss two meals? Could you create a special place somewhere in your day Perhaps where you go for a long walk and you take that little insert that's in your Sunday news today and you ask God to do his miracles. You ask God to do his miracles. He loves that. Can you create a special time with your family before it's lights out? If you've got little kids and you can bow at their bedside and just ask God to do a miracle. And, and, and pray and, and let them experience this as well so that they can look back and say, Wow, Mom! Wow, Dad! See what God did? Let them in on it. Amen. Amen. Thank God for the beginning of this journey. Thank God for nine years of journey. Thank you for open hearts and minds, even today, to hear what God is saying through His Word and the challenges that He has in front of us. So, would you stand with me, please?